1: Diabetes is one of the most common causes of kidney disease. Even when controlled, diabetes can lead to chronic kidney disease and kidney failure. Joining us to discuss diabetic kidney disease is nephrologist and professor of medicine at the University of California in San Diego, California, Dr. David Ward. Dr. Ward, welcome to ReachMD. Hello,
2: thank you, Dr. Edelman.
1: Well, David, let's let's start off with the basics. What is the relationship between diabetes? and kidney disease?
2: Well, first of all, I think I should say diabetes and kidney disease are both common things. And a person with diabetes might have some incidental kidney disease, which of course anyone anyone else could have as well. And diabetes makes certain of those other things more likely because of the increased risk of infection and perhaps obstruction of the urinary tract in diabetes. But the main issue uh, for the diabetic person with uh, a risk of kidney disease is diabetic nephropathy, which is a specific disease. We call it diabetic nephropathy to distinguish it from the other less causally related kinds of kidney disease that a person with diabetes may have. And diabetic nephropathy is a disease of the glomeruli, and it typically causes protein in the urine, and this may be one of its hallmarks. But we can never be sure it's diabetic nephropathy in a given person with diabetes unless we have more information than that.
1: What is the cause of diabetic nephropathy?
2: Yes. Well, you know, everyone has focused on some of the wrong answers for a long time. For instance, the thickening of basement membranes and blood vessels. But that appears not to be the main correlate of the uh, real uh, pathology of diabetic nephropathy. In diabetic nephropathy, there is thickening of the mesangium of the glomeruli. The mesangium is the region in the center of the glomerulus. It's really the uh, tree or uh, on which the glomerular capillaries hang, and it's made of cells and intracellular matrix. And that intracellular matrix gets increased in size by deposition of material, which is probably glucosylated uh, proteins. And this thickening of the uh, mesangial matrix is the most important correlate of developing diabetic nephropathy.
1: What are the most common symptoms of diabetic kidney disease? And tell us a little bit about the time course of symptoms as it relates to pathologic defects.
2: Well, the first thing I always say is that kidney disease is a silent disease. And someone with diabetes may not know they have kidney disease if they have not been tested. So the symptoms, the things that the the person with the disease is aware of, really don't set in until there's plenty of other evidence that the lab or urine testing could show us. Uh, when there are symptoms, they are uh, things like ankle swelling due to low blood protein, as a loss, uh, secondary to a loss of protein in the urine. So you need to have been losing protein in the urine for quite a while before you get ankle swelling as a consequence and uh, nephrotic edema uh, may occur elsewhere in the body. But the, uh, you know, the other symptoms that a, a patient will, will develop are really those of renal impairment, which is a much later stage. But to go back to the other part of your question, the correlation between the stages of the development of pathology and the, uh, the development of clinical features, uh, the, the old Jocelyn Clinic uh, data from long ago had uh, 14 years on average for type 1 diabetics from the time of onset of insulin dependence to the appearance of protein in the urine. So that's a long time. Uh, The average in type 2 diabetics turns out to be somewhat similar, though, of course, we're trying to prolong that average out to uh, a longer time. Now, that average is the average in patients who do eventually develop diabetic nephropathy. And, of course, the majority of people do not develop over diabetic nephropathy. But among those that do, there is a long incubation period uh, uh, on average, and then the proteinuria appears. But thereafter, things can move more quickly. Uh, Once proteinuria becomes fixed, more than half a gram a day, then there is a tendency to see loss of glomerular filtration rate progressing.
1: Let's talk about some of the key tests.
2: Well, you know, routine dipstick of the urine is a useful test because it's so highly sensitive for albumin. In fact, normal people can have trace or even 1-plus albumin on a normal dipstick of the urine. And it's an important thing to warn people with diabetes not to be overreacting if if the test shows 1-plus or trace. But if it's negative, then you can be absolutely sure that there is no diabetic nephropathy going on. If there is a trace or 1-plus proteinuria, it's probably then time to do a chemical analysis, a more formal quantitative analysis of the urine protein uh, or urine albumin. And that's where the microalbumin test is a very useful one. It usually expresses the result as uh, albumin by the micro method as a ratio to creatinine. And that, of course, the creatinine varies only because the urine is sometimes concentrated or not concentrated, so that serves as a check and a denominator uh, for the amount of albumin in the urine.
1: David, what about um, the estimated glomerular filtration rate that's on all of our chem panels? How, how accurate are those, and what kind of numbers should we be looking for?
2: The estimated GFR is calculated quite simply from the serum creatinine and a very few other parameters, such as age sex and whether the person has African-American genes or not. So it's a fairly rough number. It's going to be off by 30% a lot of the time, or up to 30% a lot of the time. But it still gives an estimate of what the glomerular filtration rate may be. And it uh, gives a better estimate than the raw serum creatinine.
1: Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on Reach MD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. David Ward. We are discussing diabetic kidney disease. David, uh, briefly, how often should these folks be screened for diabetic kidney disease?
2: I think it's, you know, on an annual basis, uh, if the urine is tested either by a dipstick or a microalbumin assay, and if it's in the normal range, then you can relax for another year and not worry about it. It's uh, Good screening test to be sure you're okay.
1: That, that, that's good practical advice. Now, I've heard many experts say that uh, that high blood pressure is more damaging to the kidney than high glucose levels. Let's talk about blood pressure and kidney disease. I know, I know that's got to be high on the list of important treatments and preventative actions.
2: You know, obviously hypertension can damage the kidney anyway. People who are not diabetic or have hypertension get nephrosclerosis due to hypertension. But the important conceptual thing is that hypertension accelerates the actual process of diabetic nephropathy itself. This mesangial thickening process is accelerated by hypertension. And as you said correctly, hypertension is the highest risk factor, first among all others in terms of being the promoter of the pathology, the development of this pathology.
1: Tell us your, uh, your number one, two, and three list for the, the classes of antihypertensives to treat these patients.
2: The first thing to say is, though, that uh, the, the control of hypertension itself is more important than the means by which you do it. And this may be something that has been lost a little bit in the recent times when we, we recognize that ACE inhibitors and antitensin-receptive locks and so forth have an added advantage. But we should go back to the old Scandinavian studies of 20 years ago when they had none of these things and they were using metoprolol and Lasix and Hydralazine and all kinds of drugs which we would think of as second rate. But using those drugs and reducing the blood pressure had an enormous positive benefit for people with diabetes who had some minor degrees of proteinuria. So the first thing to say is controlling the hypertension is really number one, and number two is using drugs if you can, that have these additional benefits. And if you can't, it's still not as important as number one. So to answer your question, sure, the ACE inhibitors, the angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors and the angiotensin-receptor blockers, and probably now the new renin inhibitors, Aliscarin is the first one, um, they probably all have an, a, a specific advantage because they have more effect on the glomerulus than just the reduction of blood pressure systemically. They seem to reduce the leakiness of the the glomerular base membrane to protein and reduce pressures within the glomerulus more than within the rest of the body. If you need to go to another class in the calcium channel blockers, you're always better using the diltiazem class of drugs than the nifedipine uh, uh, class of drugs, which tend to increase proteinuria. And I think that's probably enough to say on that, but that's an important point.
1: No, I appreciate that. That's, that's been out for many years now. And I'd imagine a low-dose thiazide diuretic, uh, if the kidney function isn't too bad, it goes a long way since these patients have volume-dependent hypertension.
2: Yeah, I think the volume status of the person with uh, diabetes, especially if they're beginning to get kidney disease, is very complicated, and a thiazide diure- diuretic is indicated in a variety of situations.
1: Okay, David, we talked about blood sugar control. That I think that goes without saying. Blood pressure. Uh, is there anything else that uh, we can do to prevent kidney disease in these patients?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, my algorithm always starts blood pressure, then specific blood pressure medications, then glucose control, which, you know, is. Clearly, clearly very important. And then there are other things. For instance, uh, reducing lipids per se has been shown to improve the prognosis and delay the development of diabetic nephropathy. And then, you know, the other things that always help various aspects of diabetes, but which do also help prevent uh, kidney disease are promotion of exercise, cessation of smoking, some of these other regular things.
1: Okay, David, if you had diabetic nephropathy and waiting for a kidney transplant, would you personally pick hemo or peritoneal dialysis?
2: Well, you know, hemodialysis now comes in a new flavor with daily or nightly hemodialysis. And just in the last few weeks, it has been shown in a prospective trial that so-called daily dialysis uh, can have the same, can be equal in quality of life and longevity uh, to people receiving a deceased donor kidney transplant. So uh, that's a really good option. Peritoneal dialysis has advantages over hemodialysis, particularly for the person with diabetes. But this new modality, getting dialysis for a few hours every night, perhaps in your own home, has improved the prognosis greatly.
1: Well, I would like to thank our guest, nephrologist and professor of medicine at the University of California in San Diego, California, Dr. David Ward. Dr. Ward, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse.
2: Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for
0: listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash D-I-A. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com.
3: Daddy, what are you reading?
0: I'm reading about something called GLP-1.
3: Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes, Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes, and like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1c is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess in a way it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com DIA.